friends welcome to the maitri podcast between friends conversations with maitri this is your host nandini ray and today we will focus on the issue of mental health well-being generally most of us in the south asian community tend to ignore to take care of our mental health but this global covid-19 pandemic showed us how our fear anxiety and uncertainty about so many things are impacting our mental health and now more than ever it became obvious that all of us need to learn understand and educate ourselves about mental health so that we get timely help and at the same time we can remove the stigma associated with health seeking so to discuss this topic we reached out to the hume center and two of their representatives are here with us today um and it's my privilege to introduce dr preet kaur savarwal and dr sheetal siledar lee dr preet has been providing clinical services at the hume center for the past 8 years working with uh, south asian youth um adults and families preet is working relentlessly in breaking stigmas associated with mental health and in increasing utilization of mental health services in the south asian community she has presented at several south asian uh, mental health conferences in 2019 preet received an award from the asian american psychological association for her outstanding contributions to asian american psychology dr sheetal siledar lee is a licensed clinical psychologist and she is also an author she has a doctorate in clinical psychology from california school of professional psychology and she has been trained in working with children and families with focus on trauma and substance use Dr Siledar Lee provides services in two different Indian languages. Uh welcome Dr Sheetal and welcome Dr Preet. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Asanas um a talk about this issue. Um first would you please introduce the Hume Center to our audience? Absolutely. Um so the um Hume Center also known as Portia Bell Hume Behavioral Health and Training Center was uh, founded in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um it started as an outpatient program um primarily in Central Contra Costa County. Um but it quickly expanded um and now currently we have over 15 programs across five clinics um and we serve folks in Alameda, Contra Costa, San Francisco and Santa Clara counties. Uh, in 2009 we were approached by Alameda County Behavioral Health and they wanted us to do a needs assessment to see why the South Asian community was not seeking out mental health services and why they were so underrepresented in mental health care during that needs assessment we went out into the community here in Alameda County primarily Fremont Union City Hayward um and New York and talked to community members and um, we went to Mundars Masjids Gurdwaras Uh, we talked to um, community leaders to try to understand what were the barriers and why folks were not seeking out services. We brought all this information back to Alameda County, and they provided us a grant um, where we were able to serve this community for up to an entire year. We can do preventative counseling, uh, no charge. 
uh, they wanted to break some of those stigmas, one of which is the financial burden that mental health care can bring on to a family or an individual, and also provide services that were linguistically and culturally appropriate. So since 2009, the Hume Center has been providing services to the South Asian community um, to withhold and uphold our missions, which is to strengthen existing and develop new resources for the community and provide the highest caliber caliber of culturally sensitive behavioral health care, professional training, clinical research, um, as well as program evaluation. Wow, so much information. Can you give any website so that people who are interested, they can go to the website and find you know, any information they, they need? Sure, absolutely. So our website is um, humecenter.org. Um, and then also, if you um, have inf- um, any questions, you can also call um, directly to our clinic and we can you know, provide you more information about the different programs we have. Our phone number is 510-745-9151. Wonderful. So I'm seeing that both of you have a lot of experience uh, working with the South Asian community and for several years. So what are the most common mental health related issues you see in our community? Um, Nandini, I think one of the most common issues that we are seeing is the unwillingness to seek help and Mm. accept that there is an emotional wellness challenge. You know, um, a lot of South Asian community focuses primarily on physical wellness and Mm. emotional wellness is taken a backseat. And there's a lot of ignorance around um, emotional wellness in general. There's also a lot of depression and anxiety symptoms that we observe, a lot of isolation, especially for, uh, you know, South Asian communities where uh, language is a barrier. There's a lot of isolation because they cannot communicate with other people. They cannot talk to even their own providers. You know, they have to use either interpretation or a family member to help them. Mm. Uh, we also are seeing a lot of substance use in this community, domestic violence issues. Um, immigration stress has been, it's always been prevailing in this community, but I think in the past few years, it has taken forefront with the changes in the government and the policies. Um, a lot of high-functioning adults who have been in the United States for a while and who have been independent and able to manage things have suddenly gone through this intense stress because of their immigration status in the country and the anxiety around what would happen next and how would it impact them and their families. So that has brought up a lot of stress and, you know, linked with substance use also to cope with that stress. Mm. So these are definitely some of the common issues that we're seeing, challenges that we're observing in the community. Yeah, the funny thing is many people still think that, you know, South Asians are moral minority uh, and they don't have substance use, they don't have domestic violence, they don't have poverty or anything bad they don't have. Everything is perfect. But so many things are happening in our community and unless we talk about it, we cannot solve the problem. That, But... Um, I don't know how to reach out to to all community members so that together we can uh, talk about this issue and find solutions because mental health, as you say, that is a taboo topic. No one wants to talk about it. And in our community, it's rarely discussed. 
Uh, but we forget that if we don't talk about it, um, about this problem, uh, that doesn't mean that it will go away. Our problem will increase. Uh, it will stay and it will increase. Uh, and it will affect people, especially young folks. Um, I remember one college student once told me that she actually wanted to see a mental health therapist, but her parents uh, didn't let her take any professional help as they thought that it will bring uh, shame to their family. And so community ostracism is playing a huge, huge barrier for South Asian youth to seek help. Uh, but there are researches, I was, you know, since I uh, want to do this uh, podcast, uh, this uh, topic, and so I was uh, reading some researches, and it says that, you know, uh, South Asian uh, youth have increased risk of committing self-harm and suicide. And not only this, uh, but South Asian female youth are five to seven times more likely than South Asian male youth to commit self-harm. But why is that? So what are the challenges South Asian youth face and what are the risk factors do you see that can be mitigated with sound thinking? Nandini, you you brought up some really good points there. You know, the statistics that you gave is pretty important to keep in mind because we are definitely seeing an increase in suicide rates and self-harm rates for South Asian community. And like you mentioned, you know, the model minority myth exists where people think we have this perfect life and mm. we don't talk about it. So it stays in the house in, in wraps. And uh, we are seeing a lot of people in our clinic where parents are not willing to permit them to seek services. And so they're doing that without parental consent. And, you know, we go ahead with minor consent and we provide services because they definitely need that help. Mm. A lot of the youth uh, are struggling between trying to find an identity for themselves in the Western world because parents are more focused on continuing the culture and the traditions and making sure that, you know, uh, their children are not Americanized as a lot of parents say it. So the Mm. acculturation differences between parents and the youth is causing a lot of conflict, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of stress in the household, you know, um, There are so many movies that have depicted that. And I think one of the things that comes to my mind is Bend It Like Beckham, where Mm. uh, just even playing a sport was considered, you know, something that's not appropriate for an Indian girl to be doing and uh, things like that. So it's not even for major issues for small things or, you know, choosing um, an elective subject or choosing your extracurricular activity. Even those things become so stressful because of the, difference in the cultures and the thought process between parents and youth, then the expectation to follow those traditions and cultures sometimes puts too much pressure on the youth. There's always the pressure to perform, right? Um, South mm. Asians are known to be smart and intelligent and have these uh, white collar jobs and make a lot of money. Again, the model minority myth. So there's always that pressure to perform. Uh, parents are putting more and more pressure. Schools are expecting that, you know, in the East Bay, if you see, there's an expectation from teachers. If they see it's a South Asian kid, they somehow have this set expectation. Oh, okay, I don't have to worry about this kid. They're going to perform well, you know. So there's just so much pressure on you in going through puberty or teenage years and going through the identity crisis and exploring themselves that itself puts challenges on the youth. 
internally. And when you have all these external challenges, it just makes it even more harder to determine how to move forward and how do you figure out what to do and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate because you're getting mixed messages, something else from home and something from the community. So it's definitely a really hard challenge to be a youth in this culture right now and you know, be a South Asian youth in the uh, Western culture and try to find your identity and to make yourself visible and to still be able to satisfy your needs and expectations and also your families. Hmm. So, you know, um, uh, Dr. Sheetal, I am a parent of uh, two teenage boys and hearing your whatever you, were, you shared just now, I'm thinking that am I doing the right thing? How do I support my uh, teen boys? I mean, I don't know whether they feel that kind of pressure or, you know, uh, how do I make sure that they, they I'm supporting them and they're, uh, I'm supporting their mental health well-being? Is there anything I can do so as a mom? As a professional and as a mother myself, I think one of the biggest um, advice I constantly give myself and I remind myself to do it too is asking your children, you know, asking them what they need and having open conversations with them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's important to sit down, and especially if you have older kids, you know, to have mm -hmm. a conversation with them and be like, uh, like, okay, hey, let's talk about this. You know, do you think we can do something differently as a family? Or, you know, there is something that might be helpful. Is there something that's working? Something that we need to change on? Something that might be helpful, you know? And keeping that open conversations and not keeping the, you know, the typical South Asian family always has that parents are uh, superior and there's a power difference in, you want your child to obey everything that you say, you cannot, they cannot question you. You know, mm. I think those are challenges that we need to overcome. And we need to understand that our kids have a voice, they have their opinions. And sometimes we need to take a step back and listen to them. Maybe it's time that we start doing that as parents, so that we understand what our kids need. Yeah. So uh, what I'm hearing that mutual respect and open communication mm -hmm. um, is very important. And thank you for, you know, uh, sharing the tips. Um, and not only we are talking about youth, but not only youth um, in our community, we have seen, we are seeing that um, you know, immigrant population is aging. Whoever came, uh, you know, 30 years back, they're aging. And also many of us, we are bringing our elderly uh, parents uh, so that they can to this country so that they can stay with us. Um, but uh, what are the potential risk factors for depress uh, depression among our older adults? Because they are, uh, they are uh, leaving their country, their uh, people back home and coming here or some are also, you know, some older immigrants who came here probably 30 years back, but now they're aging. So um, what kind of risk factors should we uh, watch out uh, for depression among those uh, population? And Nandini, this is such a huge concern right now. We definitely have a, a large sum of population, which is uh, older adults. Hmm. Either they migrated or, you know, they came here because their kids were here. Hmm. Um, and it has been a challenge for them. I think for uh, the set of people that came in here 30, 40 years ago, um, they were busy working and making a lifestyle and trying to 
provide for themselves and their families here and back home. So they were very focused on working, working, working. And mm. then they reach a point where, you know, they retire and or they start having physical health issues. So they need to take a step back and then suddenly they start missing homeland, their families, their friends, uh, the lifestyle back there. Mm. And uh, it hits them at, you know, at like four decades down. But mm. um, and again, if you lose a partner, you know, that's again, very isolating, very depressing. Uh, for older adults who move here, either permanently or temporarily, because they have family here, there's another challenge because there's a constant switch between, if they're temporarily here, there's a switch between going back and forth between the two cultures, uh, mm-hmm. trying to get adjusted to that, health issues that come up, language barriers, you know, unable to go to your doctor like you do back home in India, it's like, mm. hey, I don't feel good. I'll go see my doctor. And you just go have a chat with your doctor. And, mm. you know, you talk about things, you feel better. But that's not how things work here. You have to make an appointment. You have to sp- specifically state what is the issue you want to talk to your doctor and address. And they will not address anything beyond that one. If there's another issue, make another appointment. Come in later. Sometimes you cannot even talk to your own doctor because of language barriers. You know, we have so many providers that are South Asian, but not everybody speaks the languages. There's a lot of isolation that happens because um, the younger population goes to work. There may be kids or grandkids in the house. They go to school and work. The older adults are left alone at home. Uh, They have to navigate things. Uh, You know, they cannot just go knock on the neighbor's door and start talking like they would have done back home. Mm. So there's a lot of restrictions there's a lot of limitations in what they can do they experience loss because they have lived a life in a very different environment and coming here is a loss for them in some ways they're going through they're grieving losing all that the extended family the lifestyle you don't have you know some a lady selling fish or vegetable coming to your door with whom you have a conversation here Absolutely. back home you know you have all these small conversations small yeah. talk you see 10 yeah. people in the day and here they might not see anybody else except themselves yeah. and they're the used to it and they're used to it and so many yeah. small small things are you know uh, coming together to create that kind of effect on their mental health that they are feeling so low so depressed when they yeah. don't have anyone to share their feelings and yeah yes absolutely what you said that um every member young members in the family they are busy with their work schools and sometimes the older people they don't have anyone to talk to or they share their emotions um probably um i don't know how to uh, how to solve that problem probably we need more um uh, like um, old, uh, older people center so that you know uh, so that they can come and they can meet with each other mm-hmm. uh, maybe we should uh, you know government should arrange some uh, transportation so that they can pick up all the older uh, folks and so that they can and go uh, take them to some center so that they can meet and um it's not easy it's not easy and there's so many things are um, affecting and and you know what sometimes whether when we were uh, when we were talking about youth youth uh, young kids and uh, older parents and adults are there also all of us we can have um, mental health um, 
you know, illness and uh, depression, sadness, but we don't know um, that we need help. Sometimes we don't understand because this topic, we don't talk about this topic much often. So there are so many misconceptions, so many misunderstandings about this issue um, that we don't know uh, if this is the right time to get help. So how can one know uh, that they need help? And is there any red flag? Uh, how do I know that I, I need help? It's a great question, Anthony. Um, so, you know, as, as a provider, I always tell folks that have this question that and everyone can benefit from emotional wellness care. Mm. So when we, every year we go to our doctor and we do our physical, there may not be anything necessarily wrong in that moment. We may not be struggling in our, with our health in any way, but we still go do our physical every year to make sure that things are going well. Mm. We should be doing the same for our emotional wellness. We should have an emotional wellness checkup every year. We should meet with someone, talk about what our current stresses are, our current challenges are, how are our coping strategies faring for us? Are we able to cope with, with the things that are going on in our lives or around us in the world? We've gone through a collective trauma as a society. We are all struggling in some way with our emotional wellness. So I think the number one message I want to send out there is that we can all benefit. We all would benefit from getting some sort of emotional wellness care. Um, it doesn't mean that we, we're going to be put on medication or we're going to be hospitalized because I think that's where our minds go when we think mm. about mental health care is there it's not on a spectrum it's either we're great we're normal we need we don't need to talk to anyone or we're you know we're crazy and we need to be institutionalized so I I do want to start there and say that I feel that everybody can benefit from some mental health care some emotional wellness support um, where Dr. Um, Shito um, described what that looks like culturally for our communities is when we have a community around us, we're able to talk, we're able to get support from all of the people that are part of our lives, which isn't the case in the, in the Western world as much as it has been back home in India, Pakistan, all the South Asian countries. Um, so when those coping strategies, those ways of us dealing with day-to-day -day life are not working anymore, and we're finding ourselves having changes in our mood, for instance, we're feeling excessively angry, there's violent behavior, um, you know, we may have been someone that, you know, had a lot of patience, and now we're running out of patience quite often, Um when we're, you know, there's things uh, around having thoughts of hurting ourselves or hurting someone else. So the self-harm, the suicidal ideation that may come. Um, when our sadness, our depression, our anxiety lasts for an, a long period of time. And, and if we're talking in diagnosable terminology, that would be, you know, like, have we felt sad or depressed or anxious for more than two weeks? And is this the, that those feelings, are they interfering in our ability to do our daily activities? So are we not able to go to work? Are we not able to maintain relationships with our family, with our friends? Are we not able to function in social settings or work settings or school settings? Those are some of the red flags that we start looking at. Like, you know, are, are there marked changes in personality and eating and sleeping patterns? That's when we, you know, really want to support someone or support ourselves in reaching out to get help. Because that means that there's some, you're not able to cope with whatever is going on around you. And then also being mindful, is this situational? Like, has there been a loss in the family? Um, and and is, is 
that will, you know, try to understand why am I feeling this way? And if, you know, sometimes it's just environmental or situational and, and with time, those things will go away. But if this has been prolonging and it, it seems to not be going away, that would be a time for you to reach out to someone. And that could be your physician. That could be a great first place to go is your physician. Um, and then talking to them to see, you know, what, what are other supports out there that may be helpful for me? Mm. So much uh, stigma associated in health seeking so that, you know, people, even if they understand that something is wrong, they are not feeling well, but they are hesitating to, uh, to talk to someone about this mental health. And hopefully we will be able to break that stigma if we continuously, you know, talk about this issue. And I'm thankful to you, uh, both of you, that you came to our show and sharing so uh, much good information and your knowledge knowledge, your experience, and I'm sure that who will be listening to that, uh, to this show, um, they will uh, share this information with their friends and family so that we can engage more people to understand that how important it is to take care of our mental health. Um, you know, I was talking to someone, um, you know, a couple of months back, and she was sharing that after she gave birth, uh, she didn't feel um, okay, and she didn't want to take care of uh, her baby and she was not feeling um, uh, happy, um, uh, you know, but she was feeling so guilty that she thought it's her fault um, that she is not happy after having the kid. But uh, she actually, I told her that, you know, have you considered uh, to talk to some mental health professional? It's not your fault, you know, it's our uh, physical health and mental health can, uh, can get affected with so many things. And it is always good to take care of um, our mental health and physical health when uh, it's at the, at the right time, because we, uh, most of the South Asian, we wait till last minute when our mental health is really, um, is really bad. Uh, but that shouldn't be the case. Um, and another thing, uh, Preet, uh, you know, uh, many people think that mental health consultation can be so expensive. I don't know. A, there is stigma. And B, uh, the cost. Uh, the many people, they don't have uh, enough idea uh, that they can, they think that it's very expensive. So can you uh, share some free or low cost resources? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so there, you know, one of the biggest stigmas um, within the South Asian community around, you know, and if you've noticed, we, me and uh, Dr. Sheetal have been trying to say emotional wellness rather than mental health, because mm -hmm. even mental health, that word holds a lot of stigma. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in our languages, when we say, you know, in, in any South Asian language, when we say, oh, that person's mental, that means that they're crazy and, mm. and they need to be institutionalized. So we're at, at the Hume Center, we've, you know, we're, we're trying to work on changing the language so that we're even destigmatizing the language we use to talk about these things. Um, so when we talk about emotional wellness. Oh, I love that support, phrase, emotional wellness. Very nice. Um, and because we want to, we want to highlight that, uh, you know, again, I'm going to use mental health, but um, that physical health and emotional health are all a part of the, of wellness. So we believe in wellness as a society. Mm -hmm. um, so in order for us to be, you know, have positive wellness, we, we have to pay attention to both of those things, our physical health and our emotional health. Mm. Um, and the emotional health care um, 
there's so many different avenues that you can get emotional health care. Um, so for kids, we always support parents that you're going to your pediatrician for annual checkups. If there's something going on, please check in with your, your the pediatrician or check in with your, phys, you know, your physician every year when you have your annual physical. Talk to them about what's been going on and they can also support you and guide you to what the next steps should be or can be. Um, the schools have school counselors, they have psychologists on campus. Um, oftentimes, um, you know, we at the Hume Center, we are providing services at a lot of the schools in Fremont in Union City. And our services are free at the school. And so reaching out to a school counselor, letting them know that you're concerned that your child has expressed perhaps um, feeling really overwhelmed with academic stress or has expressed that they've been harming themselves. And the school counselors can support you in getting connected to some of those outside providers that are on campus and that can see your child. I um, mean, it's usually at no cost to you. Mm. Um, there's also a lot of community support. So, you know, having an emotional wellness challenge doesn't necessarily mean you need one-to-one -one counseling. You can maybe benefit from a support group or attending a workshop around mm. coping strategies, taking a yoga class. Like maybe you don't even have coping strategies. You know, you're stressed. You haven't been making time for yourself or taking, you know, taking breaks. How can we support you in finding those community led practices that may help you cope with whatever stresses you're going through? Let's say all of those things don't work. Um, and you do need to meet with someone one-on-one. -on -one. You know, we, we at the Hume Center offers these services to the South Asian community at no charge, but you have to be a resident of Alameda County. Mm. Um, so if you're not a resident of Alameda County, we always encourage you to reach out to your health insurance company. A lot of your health plans include mental health care, and it'll be just like a regular copay. Like if you were going to your doctor, you can go and meet with a psychologist um, for just a simple copay. Mm. Um, also, employers, um, they, most company, larger companies have employee assistant programs, which also offer time-limited mental health care or emotional wellness care. Um, but there's also this fear of if we reach out to our school, if we reach out to services through our employer, they'll find out that there's something wrong with us. So we do do a lot of education around that, the, the component of confidentiality that we're, you know, as psychologists, we are not allowed to share anything you tell us in the room with anyone else, unless you give us permission. Hmm. So school counselors, will not find out what your child is sharing with us, what's happening at home. All of that will be kept in confidence. It won't be on your child's transcript that they received emotional wellness or they met with the psychologist on campus. All of that information will not be on their transcript. And, and similarly, your employer, unless, the, unless your employer said you need to go to therapy, they will not have any access to your medical records. And so mm. all of this information you share with your psychologist or your provider will be kept in confidence. Um, that's and a very important piece, that confidentiality. Many, I, I believe that many people, when they know that it will be confidential, probably they will have some courage to take the decision of seeing someone uh, if they need mental health, uh, well-being or emotional well-being support, right? Yes, yes. 
And then if all of those things don't work and they're still, you know, you're still hesitant in reaching out to health, your health insurance or the schools, there's also, you know, private practitioners out there that sometimes offer um, services on a sliding scale. So dependent on your income, they, you know, they have lower fees for folks that, you know, if your income is not that high. Um, so I always encourage um you know, the community to go onto websites like Psychology Today that can offer um, a list of providers. Mm. Um, because we also do understand that you may not want to go to a South Asian provider. You, you may be South Asian, but you feel you want to meet with someone that's not South Asian. Yeah. Um, so Psychology Today has providers from all different communities, and you can even break it down. Like if you want a male therapist rather than a female therapist you want someone that works with couples or works with children you can break all of those things down on that website and find a provider give them a call see what their fees look like um, there are there are a lot of services out there um, so I encourage folks you know they can always reach out to us at the Hume Center we do have time limited support where we can help you find a provider for instance if you're not in Alameda County and you need some support we can always help support you in finding a provider in whatever county you're in oh that's um, a very good information anyone can reach out to you to find out information right correct yes Okay, that's a very good information you uh, you shared. So whatever we discussed today, the main thing is that we South Asian we have some barriers in in general in in help seeking. Uh, so in your work, in your experience, what are the barriers um, have you seen? We could do a whole podcast about the barriers. <laughs> There's so that. many barriers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know try try to. To minimize because a lot of them have already been discussed mm -hmm. you know um, both of both you Nandini and Dr. Sheetal have mentioned a, a lot of stigmas and barriers that our community has um, the model minority myth being one of them um, and the fear the feelings of um, shame and guilt that are associated with you know wanting to live up to that model minority myth and then when we do need help um, we we don't seek out that help because we're afraid what will, you know, that this notion of what will people mm. think if we reach out for support? Um, and then, you know, because we're not seeking out for support, it's portrayed in, in media, in the society that the, the South Asian community is, is very successful. They don't need any help, but mm. that's not true. M emotional wellness does not look at you know, your income, it does not look at what, you know, do you drive a nice car? Do you have a great job? You know, we can all experience an emotional wellness challenge. And I think that's the biggest myth that we live with is like, we shouldn't be sad or we shouldn't be anxious if we're living a successful life. Um, and if we are feeling these things, that it's a character flaw and that we should just try harder or we're being lazy. Um, so it's really important for us to change that narrative. It's not about us not being successful or being successful. It, it's um, emotional wellness can be a challenge in so many different ways. We can all experience an emotional wellness challenge. It's not because we're weak. It's not because there's something, you know, that a character flaw in our, in ourselves. Um, and so that, like that comes all with all of us can have fever, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Great so example, what, yes. Yeah, so what uh, all of us can do to destigmatize mental health services? 
So I, I think the biggest thing is increasing the awareness and the knowledge, um, which, you know, having podcasts like this, having these types of conversations, um, the more we talk about it, the less stigma will be attached to it. So if we think 20, 30 years ago, um, for the South Asian community here in the Bay Area, particularly, people were afraid to talk about, you know, heart, heart care and diabetes um, and all, all the physical health things that were happening around us, we didn't talk about it. Nobody told us that, you know, nobody wanted to tell, share with anyone that they had heart issues or they struggled with their diabetes. But we, as a community, we, you know, we had a lot of South Asian doctors who would come and do presentations at the Mandars and the Masjids and Gurdwaras. They, they would do radio shows. And so through that, having those conversations over and over again, we've now become a society that loves to talk about our physical health and wants to find ways to make sure that we're, we are physically well. We're changing, you know, one of the examples I use is we exchange, you know, recipes of food, you know, oh, this is a, you know, you should cook this, it's great for your heart. Or, you know, if you have diabetes, this is a great dish to create for dessert. Hmm. I, my hope is that we can talk about emotional wellness in a similar way, ha, you hmm. know, you know, having presentations, you know, talking about it, at, you know, at the dinner table with our families, to a point where we can also change, um, you know, exchange emotional wellness recipes. Like, you know, I was feeling really down and these are the things that I did to help myself feel more motivated at work. Or I, I was struggling with, you know, not doing so well at school and just having all of this academic stress, but I decided to organize things in, in a different way. And that really helped me feel more positive about my academic performance. So we're not having those conversations. And so I'm hoping we can get to that point where we can, you know, have more knowledge, have more awareness. Yeah. Not worry about, you know, look at Loki Gange in a different, you know, like what will people say in a different way of, I'm going to go see a mental health provider and I'm going to tell my community that I'm doing that so that I can normalize it, that there's, there isn't shame in going and, and talking to someone. There isn't any guilt around going and talking to someone. Yeah, yeah. So it's all our, all our responsibility to destigmatize dis- uh, that mental health services. Yeah. And, um, you know, listeners, you can help. Uh, all of us can help those who are suffering and simply giving someone space to talk and listening to how they're feeling can be really helpful in itself. And Regardless of cultural background, what I'm hearing from you, Dr. Sheetal and Dr. Preet, that when it comes to treating mental health um, illness or emotional uh, well-being, knowledge is power and early detection and support are critical to helping a loved one cope and eventually thrive. So I would, uh, you know, request all our listeners to share this podcast on your personal social media platforms, share this with your uh, friends and family so that uh, we can educate more people uh, to find the information and to join us to uh, break the stigma. Um, A reduction in stigma surrounding mental health would allow for more people to feel comfortable reaching out for help and and one way to do this, um, to increase education and awareness, as you said, Preet, uh, about mental health uh, in the South Asian community as a whole. So hope um, all of us um, and uh, will do our part, all the listeners um, will help us in raising awareness. 
So uh, thank you so much, Preet, and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Sheetal, for coming to our show and sharing uh, your wealth of knowledge. Thank you for having us, and and thank you for being a part of the you know the stigma, you know, breaking around this topic um, because the more they folks trust in you, they trust in your organization, and the more that you talk about it, the more they're going to trust in in that we can do this, that we can get emotional wellness support, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Um, yeah. Thank you, Nandini. Uh, you know, I would like to end with. An analogy I like to tell a lot of people, especially when educating around emotional wellness, mm -hmm. is that when you have a splinter in your finger and you decide to not do anything about it because it's going to hurt or, you know, it's going to cause more pain, you leave it there. And what happens is it gets inf infected and it becomes inflamed. And, you know, it's then you have to probably go into the emergency room and have it taken out and it becomes very severe to address rather if in the moment you pull the splinter out mm. you might feel the pain but then it starts healing and it subsides so it prevents the crisis from happening and I think that's something I really want our listeners to keep in mind that emotional wellness is something that needs to be addressed and as soon as you can address it you identify the need and address it the healthier it is, the more helpful it will be to address the needs and get it addressed right away, you know, so it does not get inflamed and infected and does not, and it prevents a crisis from happening. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, thank you. Listeners, I'm your host, Nandini Ray, signing off today. Uh, but, uh, you know, today with this episode, I would like to uh, share this information with you that today with this episode, we are ending our season three and soon we will be starting our season four. Um, we have done already more than 45 episodes and uh, please, so please catch up with our past seasons if you have missed any of these episodes. Uh, please share and like my three podcasts that, uh, and find our podcast between friends uh, on SoundCloud, Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you uh, listen to your podcast. Uh, my three podcasts share stories of brave survivors, information and resources from field experts and advocates um, and many such discussion. Uh, we do many such discussion that matter to our community. Hopefully, we will share and like. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye today. This project was made possible by funding provided by Santa Clara County Office of Gender-Based Violence Prevention. This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice. Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Maidri.